It is the Colby Daniels Podcast on a Wednesday, which means Aaron Davis is with me. Aaron, what is happening, my friend? Not much, not much. Just hanging out. Uh, look, I know this is how nobody wants to start this podcast because nobody cares, but I have to do some bragging. Okay, let's hear it. It's about fantasy football, which I already know people are like, oh, I don't care about this other part. Like, nobody cares about other people's fantasy football. But, okay, so I'm in a dynasty league. Are you familiar with dynasty leagues and fantasy? For sure. Football? Yeah, Okay. absolutely. Basically, it's, you know, you year one, you draft your team, and then every year you have that same team outside of, you know, trades and waiver wire stuff. And then there's a rookie draft every year. Yeah. Where you draft just rookies. We're in year three of this league. I somehow ended up with like eight picks in four rounds. Three of them are in the first round. And I somehow I ended up with, I was at like five, 11 and 10 in the first round. Wow. I'm not trying to brag here. I ended up with uh, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Trey Lance. Okay, okay. So, just want to do a little bragging on some fantasy football, just because uh, it was just the most absurd. Like, yeah, how are these dudes like letting Jamar Chase fall to five? I assume the running backs were gone by that point, correct? All f- yeah, okay. Yeah, I was uh, in my mind. So I had a, I was originally at two. I finished third in the league, but I ended up one of the, the guy that finished next to last traded me his first round pick earlier in the season, but. So I was at two, and then this other dude offers me five and 10 and 11 to move up to two, which, you know, obviously I would have taken Kyle Pitts at two. Yeah. And he, the person that traded with me ended up taking Kyle Pitts at two. But so at five, I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be like Javante Williams probably at five, maybe Travis Etienne if somebody like prefers like that Denver offense to Jacksonville. All of them gone. You're right. Like Jamar Chase ended up at five, but uh, yeah, that's just a little, uh, little fantasy football nice. brag. Nice. Yes. I, I mean, it doesn't matter, but I just thought it was. Uh, it was real. I, I'm just trying to picture real life. I'm like, dang, that team ended up with Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase. Who was the first pick, by the way, in the rookie draft? Uh, Najee Harris. Okay, that's what I figured it would be. Najee Harris. And look, if it were me, I'd probably go Javante Williams too. Yeah, I mean. I think in fantasy football, especially like in that rookie draft, like Kyle Pitts being registered as a tight end in fantasy football is oh, just you know it's right. unfair you're advantage right. because you're going to get, I mean, he's going to be the second receiver in that offense yeah. and already throws the ball a lot. So if you're getting comparable numbers to like, I don't know who's a, like an Adam Thielen type player yeah. at the tight end position, like in fantasy, that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hammer that home. But yeah, I mean, as far as situation, like Melvin Gordon can't stay healthy in Denver. So and I know you're a big Javante Williams fan. For sure. Uh, we talked about it going into the draft that like, you know, he seems to be set up pretty well for success. And uh, I mean, I mean, you compare him to like Travis Etienne, especially in a dynasty when it's long term. Travis Etienne played with, he started four years at Clemson, right? Was he there all four years? He was there all four I know, years. I, he I played like he start. played a lot of football at Clemson. I can say that. Right. They used him a lot. He played a lot. Took a lot of put a lot of mileage. And Javante Williams was he split carries with Michael Carter for a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, situation long term, like I definitely like uh, Javante Williams a lot more than yeah. I like Travis Etienne. But by anyways, the way, I'm gonna rewind. I'm gonna when I when I uh, pull the audio from this, I'm gonna go back and delete my statement to start this about uh, who I would take second and look first for that matter. Uh, because you said Kyle Pitts is a tight end, and I kind of was just thinking like pass catcher, but 
you're right. I mean, to put him in that tight end slot and get the value that I think you're going to be able to get, I'm, I'm completely right. turning it around, Aaron. Kyle Pitts is draft pick number one if I'm in your, your rookie league. Look, Number one I, on the big I, board. I don't think there's any problem, especially if you're preset at running back. Yeah. Like, yeah, Kyle Pitts is an easy pick. Like, we, I mean, we talked about going to the draft. I mean, this is just beyond fantasy football. But, like, the dude is – would you say that – He's the best tight end prospect going into a draft in the past 20 years. I use the tight end ever. loosely, but he's ever. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm thinking like maybe Kellen Winslow Jr. was like up there potential wise, but obviously he didn't, you know, pan out to what everybody expected him to. But like it's him and Kellen Winslow really going into a draft of what you expect a tight end right. to be at the next level. And he was when Kyle Pitts went four. So. But I, I mean, I would imagine he's probably going to be playing outside, playing in the slot. Like he's not going to be lined up in a traditional tight end spot a lot. Right. And have you seen any of the camp stuff from him? Oh, he's insane. Oh, he's un, like he's just unguardable. Yeah. I, what do you do? You put a corner on him, and he's too physical and too big for him. And not to mention, he runs like what a four four. Yeah. So, and so he could probably outrun a lot of corners, uh, especially a lot of safeties. And then you put a linebacker on him, you literally there's no chance to guard him if no. he's a linebacker on him. So, I mean, he's, I mean, he's Julio Jones. He's basically Julio Jones, but he just, some people call him a tight end. Yeah. Yeah. So going to be insane. He's but, a freak. Uh, I mean, yeah, at, it, like I, I would even go as far as to say, like if I were uh drafting tight ends period, like, I would take him second after Travis Kelsey, and Travis Kelsey's in the number one offense in the NFL. Travis Kelsey's the best tight end in the NFL. He has the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, Travis Kelsey obviously is worthy of the number one pick as a tight end, uh, but, like, I, le- I legitimately can't make a case for another tight end in the NFL to take over Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I mean, it's Kelsey, Pitts, and Kittle for me. I mean, those are, like... Yeah, but who's Kittle's quarterback? Hard. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's why Kittle's third. Right. But... I mean, just from a talent standpoint, like, I mean, obviously Pitts hasn't played it down, but right. like, I don't, it's hard to imagine a scenario where that it doesn't translate immediately exactly. for him into the NFL. And the crazy thing is, uh, I, I talked about it last week. I think I was watching that, like, Hey rookie, welcome to the NFL thing where they profile a few guys going into the draft. Kyle Pitts off the field. Like he, like, there's nothing that impressive about him physically. Like he doesn't like, you wouldn't look at him and be like, this guy is one of the most physically gifted like football players on the field at all times but i don't know man something something about him he's just a freak and uh yeah it's just good luck the falcons uh they're gonna be terrible but kyle pitts should be really good i mean think darren waller but more athletic bigger more athletic guy with a better quarterback throwing to him yeah like (laughs) darren waller's a beast man darren waller's a machine yeah, for mean, the Darryl Raiders. Like, and he's in that yeah. he's in that conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I love George Kittle. George Kittle's one of my favorite players in the NFL. Uh so uh, but in terms of fantasy production, it's not a knock on George Kittle as much as like is it going to be Jimmy G? Is it going to be Trey Lance? If it is Jimmy G, like what Jimmy G do we see? Uh yeah. I, there's just a lot of questions I think with with uh the stuff that is outside of George Kittle's control to say that I would automatically draft him second as the tight end. But if you want to just say, like, he's the second best tight end, I have no issue with that. Like, I think you can make the argument that he's the most complete tight end in the NFL. 
Speaking of Trey, uh, Trey Lance, is there at, out of all the rookie quarterbacks, we'll just go first round because, look, I don't think that uh, Kellen Mond is really going to have any uh, threat yeah. of starting in Minnesota anytime right. soon. And I like who cares about uh, Davis Mills in Houston? But out of the first round quarterbacks, one, did you see any of them in, in the first week of the preseason? And two, like, is there is there which one are you most excited to see play in the NFL? Justin Fields is the answer to the second question. And you and I talked about it throughout the entire draft process, uh, you know, leading up to the big draft show that we did from Chalk. Um, like, Justin Fields, I think, was the easily the QB2 in this NFL draft. I think the gap between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields was less than most people felt like the gap was between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Because a lot of people had Zach Wilson as QB2. Um, I think that maybe in any other year, um, you know, Kyler Murray uh, is probably the exception. Well, maybe not any other year because I, I don't know that I would have taken Fields over Burrow or Kyler Murray. Um, you know, Fields over Baker, I think, would have been a real conversation to have uh, yeah. if if those two had come out the same year. But I, I think there are a lot of draft years where I would have said Justin Fields is the number one pick in this draft. And in this in this draft that I felt like had five deserving first-round talents at that position, uh, I thought it was a slim margin from Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields as uh, you know the top two Q- QBs. So I think he was the perfect draft pick to go to a team that's been void of talent at that position for my entire lifetime. The Chicago Bears have never had a great quarterback in my entire lifetime. And now they're going to get Justin Fields, who goes into that situation with a chip on his shoulder being completely overlooked and undervalued throughout this entire draft process. I think he's going to be a stud. He has everything that you need to have to have success at the NFL level. So he is by far the guy I'm most excited to see. But look, I think just in this this first week of preseason camps and, and preseason games, there's something to be excited about with all five of those guys. Like, I, I really like this quarterback class. Yeah, I, I do too. Like I just talking about watching guys in pre, you know, preseason week one, I, it's preseason week one. Like take it with the biggest grain of For salt sure. you could ever imagine. Yeah. But I thought Zach Wilson looked really good. I thought that, uh, I thought Mac Jones looked pretty good. And it, look, Mac Jones is probably going to be in a situation where it's going to be e- the easiest for him to look good right away, just because of that coaching staff that, they're not going to ask Mac Jones to do anything crazy, and he's he's probably going to be successful. I don't know about winning games necessarily, but you know New England should be better this year. And whether or not he ends up starting early or not, or at all this year, yeah, I think he probably will. Because to me, Cam Newton was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year. Probably if if Cam couldn't run the ball, he would have been the worst quarterback in the league last year because his arm is his arm is dead at this point. But I thought Zach looked really good. I was really impressed. I didn't see Trey Lance. I did he play in their game? Yeah, you haven't seen the big uh, like eighty yard touchdown pass he threw. I didn't. I missed. Oh. No, I didn't watch any of the highlights from from the San Francisco game. And look, game. he's wearing the number five, and he's got like I love the San Francisco uniforms anyway. Like I just think it's a it's a great look. Uh, and I know this is probably blasphemous for a cowboy to say. But I love the San Francisco uniforms. And when you look, he's wearing the number five and he's got the visor. Like, he just looks awesome on the football field. And uh, he rolls left, throws a, a, it was kind of a wobbly pass. But, I mean, you could, it was, 
you could tell that the arm strength is off the charts. Uh, throws it to the other side of the football field, hits a guy in stride for like an 80-yard score. It was it was impressive. I've heard look, I've heard people that are at 49ers camp that cover the team talk about Trey Lance and just like he's like out of this world. Yeah. So far through camp and I imagine Jimmy G probably is going to end up starting the first at least couple of games of the season just because there's no reason like they they should be good enough that Jimmy G should be able to like and they open with Detroit. Yeah. Like there's no reason that they can't win with Garopp. They don't need to throw Lance out there, but right. um yeah, and Lawrence Lawrence didn't really do much. Um he had like a couple of nice passes, but Right. I mean, he's probably I I don't know. I, I don't know if Lawrence is in a good situation right now or if it's going to be a tough year one. Like, you look at the weapons they have around him in Jacksonville and, like, on paper, like, it's kind of nice because they're really young and you think that they're going to be, like, it's something to get excited about. But, like, I look at their receivers and LaVisca Chenault's pretty good. He's good. I like him. But, yeah. like, he's only been in the league a year. G- apparently, Urban Meyer and the coaches don't like DJ Shark. Um and like I said last week, like Laquan Treadwell has been one of the guys that's been standing out at camp. So I think it's probably going to be a rough go for Trevor year one. They're probably going to run the ball a lot, honestly. Um, but back, but back to your point about like Justin Fields in the drafts. I, Baker Mayfield, I think he definitely goes year number one that year because you're looking at a draft where Josh Allen went seven, and now Josh Allen looks like a home run yeah, at seven. Agreed. But at the time, like they like it was, you were out of your mind. To t- it was a huge gamble to take Josh Allen at seven. Yeah, because I mean and the Lamar with scouted- the with the last pick in the first round that year. Yeah, Lamar wasn't even on the radar going at, uh, up early in the draft. Yeah, and then Rosen goes ten, and he just got cut by San Francisco. He's, I mean, I don't. He might be done already in his NFL career. So I think Justin Fields would absolutely go number one because I don't think his his arm is just as good as Baker's, and he's significantly more athletic. So I can't imagine a scenario where he Fields doesn't go number one. Yeah, then, but I would say this, like, I think evaluating the dual threat guys the year Baker came out and evaluating the dual threat guys now, like the NFL has changed so massively just in the last three seasons in terms of how we look at those guys that maybe don't have the accuracy. Like, look, I, I'm I'm 100% guilty of this. When Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson came out, I wasn't as high on them as well, Josh Allen because of the accuracy issues and because of the fact that I'm like... I don't know if these guys can make the tight window NFL throws. Well, here's the thing. We've seen offenses now in the NFL get away from that old school style where quarterbacks have to do that over and over and over. And offenses now take advantage of quarterback strengths and you don't have to be as good, I I think, in, in the accuracy and tight window situations as you used to be because they're moving the pocket. They're taking advantage of guys' athleticism now more than ever. So... If it were this year, yeah, you might be right. If back then, I think it probably still goes to Baker just because there would be the questions about, you know, it, it can Justin Fields just be a pocket passing quarterback? But but here's the thing about Josh Allen though. Year one, he couldn't make those right. tight window throws. The only reason Josh Allen is where he's at is because he, every year he's gotten what like 25% better or like 33% better from the year before. I mean, there was no way to project that Josh yeah. Allen was going to completely fix his mechanics and solve his problems and become at the you know, reach the level that he's already at right now. He's gotten better, so, but you also have to credit Buffalo's scheme. Like when you see Josh Allen playing well, it's not Josh Allen taking the 100%. snap and dropping back in the pocket and making throws. 
like they're taking advantage of his athleticism, how mobile he is. They're putting him in situations where he can be a playmaker, you know, more than just like being the traditional drop back passer. Same thing for Lamar Jackson. Like I didn't think Lamar Jackson was a good fit for what at that time the NFL was doing almost across the league, which is, you know, drop back quarterbacks and right. to, to Baltimore's credit, they, they took the guy, they had a vision and they, they put an offense around him that takes advantage of his skill set and limits his, his passing deficiencies. And, you know, at that point in time, we just didn't, we weren't seeing a lot of NFL offenses do that. And now, I mean, basically everybody in the league is doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just kind of becoming more of the norm and yeah. at lower levels of college football where the quarterbacks are just becoming insanely more athletic. And then as far as the Kyler draft, like I, I've been pretty vocal about Kyler being the best quarterback I've seen, at least for like for just in my like four or five years covering college football. I thought he was the best quarterback that I had covered. Yeah. And I think his is unbelievably talented. But when you compare him to Justin Fields, just from like an ability standpoint, how like how different are they? Like Kyler's definitely more agile, but like just speed wise, I don't know if they're you think they're polar opposites? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, Kyler's definitely more accurate. So, like, yeah, to your point yeah, of, like, accuracy sure. being important, like, Kyler's definitely more accurate. But arm strength, like, I think they're probably pretty comparable I think as like, far as, like, Yeah, like, the long ball, goes. probably Justin yeah. Fields' advantage. Like, arm strength, Justin Fields' advantage, like, throwing the ball down the field. I think Kyler has more velocity in, like, the, you know, the short to intermediate passes. Yeah. I think Kyler has advantage in the accuracy standpoint. Kyler certainly has, you know, I mean, Justin Fields is kind of like the Vince Young style of runner. You know, he's like, he's fast, but he's a long strider. uh, Whereas Kyler is a burst guy, right? Like Kyler's going to go from zero to 60 really quick. Justin Fields is, yeah. It's like comparing an outside receiver to a slot receiver. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think that, like, I just don't think athletically that Justin Fields and Kyler Murray are two separate. You're right. They are kind of different in the way that they run the ball out of, like, as a quarterback. But if you're going, if you're Arizona, you're that number one pick. I I think that there's a real conversation between the two because I think that if you just, like, list out strengths on both of them, they probably have the same amount of strengths and are probably pretty high on all their strengths. And then, you yeah. know, I, I wouldn't have been surprised in that scenario if it just came down to, can you, are you, do you feel comfortable taking Kyler Murray at a size number one? And, and look, yeah. maybe, maybe they still do because like you said, I mean, these Kyler's just kind of got these intangible, like physical abilities when it comes to throwing the ball and just like making plays with his feet. But yeah, that was never know, an like, issue to me. I thought he was easily the best quarterback same. in that class. I still think I, like too. the guy has the, has top you know, two or three players in the NFL potential. So, yeah, I mean, I had, I was at a wedding that year before the draft, like in March or February before the draft. And somebody asked me who was going to go number one. I was like, Kyler Murray's going yeah. number one. Like he's the best player in college yeah. football last year. And they're like, but he's like five, five. He's going to get hurt. I'm like, the dude doesn't get hit. Right. Like, and again, hit are, if hurt. you're watching the way that the NFL completely like morphed into uh, a complete into off, you know, different offenses across the board in like a very short period of time. Um, you know, the five, five thing 10 years ago probably is an issue because you know, it, you're, you're just asking ago. quarterbacks to take the snap, drop back and throw the football. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a different league than it used to be. And I think we just, you know, I've, I've definitely adjusted the way that I 
evaluate quarterbacks coming out of college and going to the NFL today than just three or four years ago. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson, I think Lamar Jackson probably completely changed like the perspective of the quarterback position in the league. I think what Baltimore has done with Lamar Jackson, I think what Buffalo has done with Josh Allen, we're seeing Kyler Murray in Arizona. Um, I mean, Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts, like Jalen Hurts doesn't work in the NFL five years ago. Jalen Hurts, I, I still don't think he's a great player, a great quarterback, but you can use him in today's NFL because of the way that offenses are run today. Like he, he, he wasn't, he's not a good, again, he's not good enough as a passer five years ago to be a starting quarterback for an NFL team. Oh, I, okay. Here's, I, 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 we're getting hard. I know you, I definitely want to talk about hard knocks, but I had this thought watching hard knocks last night in which we can get into it if you want, but so all, there's so many preseason games that end up like 16 to 13 or like, 14 to nine. And do you think in the NFL that's because the gap between the first unit on offense and the second unit is just so drastic? Or do you think it's because the gap on defense is so small between the first unit and the second unit? I think both are true. I also think you're talking about a lot of chemistry issues. Uh, when you get with a bunch of guys that are trying to stand out individually and make teams versus uh, having a bunch of reps together, um, I think that you're all you know you factor in also like play calling and it's not you're it's not necessarily like pedal to the metal we're trying to score right in preseason as much as like you know we're trying to get work we're trying to like see what you know you're you're calling certain plays to see if certain people can perform tasks and. Um, it's, it's just an apples to oranges type thing. It's more of like a, like, I know it's a, it's a game setting, but I feel like if people viewed this more as like a scrimmage situation and anybody that's played football, even at the high school level knows like in a scrimmage situation, they're putting you in these created scenarios where it's like, okay, like two minute, like, right. Like two minute drill or, Um, you know, we have to go 80 yards with three minutes on the clock and, and they put you in all these different situations. And if something doesn't work, then you just go back to that spot and try it again. Or maybe you try the same play 10 times from the same, like down in distance and yard line. Like this is that only it's just in a game setting instead of like a scrimmage setting where they are in control of the whole thing. It's just within the confines of a four quarter packaged game televised product. So yeah. I guess it's I guess it's probably easier to a football like from a defensive perspective, you really I mean, you, you, you need to play as a unit and kind of know where the other guys are doing. But as long as you're doing your individual like assignments and be, you yeah. are where you're supposed to be, you can you can be successful with offense. Like you said, it's just offense requires a lot more uh, like symmetry and like yeah. chemistry and like knowing what other people are doing, especially from like a quarterback perspective. And, and, and I would say but, probably the the biggest gap in the entire NFL, as far as like starters to backups, I think are quarterbacks and offensive linemen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for quarterbacks for sure, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you're going yeah. from Dak to Ben DiNucci. Right. And offensive line is the same situation. Like, look at any offensive line in the NFL and they lose one guy, like one dude, and you, you put a backup on that line and all of a sudden, like, they can't block anybody. Yeah. I was just, I thought I had, yeah, it was just, uh, it's a like, good question. We'll go, yeah. I mean, we'll go week one and we'll have, there will be no games where 
a team is under 20. <laughs> right. And in, in the preseason, every team's under 20 yeah. in a game. So I just, I was, I don't know. I was just, I've never really thought about it because I just never really like it's preseason scores don't matter. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's a good question. And, and like, I think there are a lot of people that, um, don't maybe understand like what it is they're watching. And we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Like, you know, there are those people that are like, I hate preseason preseason sucks. And if you're that person, that's fine. Like you don't have to like preseason, but just understand what you're watching. It's you're not watching it for like the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Right. Like that's not like if you're watching it for that reason, then yeah, you're, you're obviously going to be disappointed. Um, do they want to, do they want to win the game? Do they want to be ahead on the scoreboard at the end of the night? Of course they do, but they're not exhausting themselves to, to win that game. They have to get guys work. They have to put guys in situations to find out whether that guy's going to make the 53 or not. Yeah. It, it's preseason is funny because like on one hand, like you're like, okay, like here's football. Like I want to see the studs. Like I want to yeah. see the dudes get out yeah. there and play. But at the same time, you're like, Oh shit. The dudes are out there playing. Like, Oh, I'm so nervous don't right now. Hurt. Don't get hurt. Like, don't dude, get please hurt. don't get a mic. Yeah. Don't break your leg. Like Michael Vick in the preseason. Yeah. Oh God. So like it's a double edged sword too for me because like I want to see the studs out there like doing their thing, but yeah. also I don't want to see them out there because like I, obviously you want them healthy for the regular season. So and guys like Zeke and Dak, I mean they don't need reps. Yeah. Like why? Like the fact that Tom Brady is taking snaps in preseason and taking hits is just it blows my mind. Agreed. That they're throwing a forty three year old quarterback out there in the preseason. And I know that's a Tom thing that he's like I need to get out of here, but I mean damn, like we got to do. I mean come on. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right, let's hit uh, let's hit hard knocks and and real quick, we'll do a like a, a three minute recap of last week because we recorded last week, and this is a look behind the curtain. But uh, for some reason, the audio just was shit and wouldn't work, and uh, I I spent more time than I probably needed to before I called it quits on trying to get the audio uploaded, but. Uh, we did like an hour and a half episode last week, and then I thought it was pretty good. Too. I, thought I thought it was really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was I like that was the reason why I, I tried and tried and tried to get the episode uploaded, but uh, audio issues, and I just couldn't get it to work. Um, I did another recording on Saturday to like with Will uh, doing our MMA episode every week, and uh, I was like, man, if this thing doesn't work again, like I'm going to be really disappointed. And I did. I don't know if I clicked something or what, but I had no issues with that audio. So hopefully this one is going to be fine. Uh, Cursed. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, uh, just wouldn't work. So uh, last week, episode one of Hard Knocks, um, quick recap for me. I sat there and said, like, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I refuse to get excited and have high expectations for this team. Halfway through episode one, I'm having, like, uh, dreams of the Dallas Cowboys hoisting the Lombardi Trophy and being Super Bowl champions. Um, Hard Knocks always makes us feel better about the team than they actually are. Uh, and Unless it's the Browns. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then when it's your favorite team, that's even magnified. So I'm trying not to, uh, to drink the Kool-Aid. Micah Parsons is going to be a future Hall of Famer. I'm making the statement now based on two Hard Knocks episodes. Hall of Fame career for Micah Parsons. Uh, the biggest moment for me in episode one was uh, Isaac Alarcon, the uh, I Want Cake guy, uh, which I thought was hysterical. I watched it like five times, and uh, I just couldn't couldn't be uh, less amused at, uh, at him wanting cake as all the guys celebrated Dak's birthday. Uh, and then... I'll get your thoughts as well before I uh, make my my 
biggest episode two comment. Okay. So go ahead. Uh, first off, we didn't even talk about it last week. And I think we used the phrase buried the lead about seven times when we were talking about hard knocks. There were so many good moments in episode one. We really buried the lead. And I'm just going to let you know, you're completely wrong on the best moment from episode one. The best moment on episode one was Bones Fossil talking about his vasectomy in that locker oh, room. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that was good, too. You're right. And like, you're right. Just you're like, right. I, I, don't, I know you're not a big office guy, but like the, the like Michael Scott-esque like vasectomy, reverse vasectomy, like just like how many times you're going to get it snip, snap, snip, snap. And yeah. then like all the players, like, like there was like two dudes in that meeting that were like, had any idea what he was talking about. They were like, definitely had, weirded out by it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would be too. Cause like, yeah. there's no context leading into that conversation. So like, did he just walk in the room and start talking about his vasectomy? Right. Like, like, I don't know. That was a great moment. Well, and, and like, think about this. Like I, you know, we look at NFL players as like grown men, but the reality is, especially in the preseason, the majority of these guys are like 22, 20, 23, yeah. 24 year olds. Like when I was 22, if a, grown ass like 50 year old 60 year old man starts talking to me about a vasectomy i'm probably like bro tmi don't want to hear it like yeah. come on man what? come on oh you know you were in like he's talking about like being awake for the vasectomy oh. which i didn't know that i thought they put you under for a i thought they did too to be honest with you yeah and now i'm like dude like i don't know if i can handle getting a vasectomy if i'm gonna be awake during it like i mean that's just go ahead and knock me out do i but, get the knockout option like is that a box you can check Right. On the preform. Like, I'm the type of guy that when I get my blood drawn or I get a shot, like I'm watching. So like I, if I get a vasectomy, like I'm going to be tempted to look and I'm yeah. going to ruin my life. Yeah. So. I mean, if I had my choice, they would, they would put me to sleep at the dentist's office. Oh, I mean being, look, dude, I've had root canal. I've had two root canals and I, they, I was awake obviously, but just sitting in the chair for three hours yeah. with my mouth open, like, dude, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, even if you're gonna like te- clean my teeth, just put me to sleep. But yeah, I had uh, when I when I went to get my wisdom teeth taken out, they couldn't get the area numb, and they uh, they had, so they had injected me and all this other stuff, and it never went numb, but they thought it did. So they start yanking at this thing, and like, I'm literally in tears, like in tears. It was so painful. This was only like ten years ago, probably. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, uh, like, it, it was yeah. it was so bad. And they're like, are you in pain? And I'm like, as tears are like rolling down my face, yes. I'm like shaking my head. Obviously. Yes. And they finally like, you know, they start they, they take everything out of my mouth and they're like talking. To me. I'm like, I can feel like nothing is numb. Yeah, like it's nothing. It didn't work. They they weren't able to numb the air. I ended up having to go somewhere else and they they took care of it correctly. But it was uh, for like and then five hours after that, like after all the yanking and jerking of that uh, wisdom tooth, trying to, to pull it out. Like I was in so much pain. Oh, terrible. Worst. Yeah. The worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And like, like I've, I've spent four hours in a chair getting a tattoo and it's on my arm. So like, that's yeah. probably the easiest place to get it. But like, that was like, I, I enjoyed it. It was like therapeutic getting a tattoo, yeah. but getting my root canal, I had two of them. Like I said, one of them, my gum above the tooth was super swollen before I went in to get the procedure and they gave me the, like the Novocaine shot Yeah, and the pain of them sticking that needle into my swollen uh, gum was just yeah. the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And then by the time that they got to the actual like root and when they like pulled the root out, 
the nut like the, it had worn off and like that was just like yeah. I, I I I think I cried like it hurt yeah. so bad when they pulled that root out. Yeah, if I, I hate like dental surgeries all, are it's just awful. the worst. I also I'll, I'll have to find the picture and I'll I'll send it to you. But I had one of my uh, one of the wisdom teeth like the I don't know what you call it the socket like uh-huh. got infected. And I had like a, I, I'm not even kidding you. It was the size of a golf ball. Like it, it got swollen, like the size of a golf ball sticking out of the side of my face. I took a picture of it. It's, it's horrible. Um, you'll have to see it, but yeah, that was, it, it was horrific. The whole experience was horrific. One of them, they put like a temporary crown on it while they were waiting for the mold to come in for, and I had to do I had to wear the temporary crown for like two weeks, but like I, I would go to school and like eat lunch and my tooth would yeah. fall out and have like four times. I had to go back to the dentist like four times and have them put in like oh, a new temporary that's crown. Brutal. Yeah, it was, it was a disaster. Teeth. God, I, I'm, I'm weird about teeth though. I have like, I'll have dreams where my teeth fall out and it's just, that's not good. Yeah. It's the worst. That's not good. Oh yeah. I'm uh I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, and the sound of the, like, uh, what is that thing that the drill the drill? <laughs> And it just like uh, vibrates. It's just uh, vi- yeah, uh, dude, I'm getting like chills up my spine right now just thinking about that sound. It's the worst sound in the world. Yeah, just and, and like you know that it's just like the grinding feel. Yeah, yep. it's yeah, yeah, not good. All right, let's change the subject. Okay, okay so my biggest takeaway from episode two of Hard Knocks. You ready for this? Did you have any? Because I didn't. Well, <laughs> this will make sense to you. Episode two of this season is arguably the worst episode of Hard Knocks I've ever seen. Oh, oh yes. Uh-huh. That's my well, takeaway. About 100%. That's my takeaway. But like, I, I will agree with you. I'd like, I, it's going to be, you really need to find some episodes to make an argument. And if you do, this one has to be in there because like the what happened? Like nothing happened the entire episode. No. It was like, what the highlight was like Zeke like chafing, which I look, like, man, I I just know that like this elite athlete is chafing made me feel better yeah. about my body, yeah. but nothing nothing happened. Like, I mean, like the highlights Zeke chafing. Um, probably the guy who was the defensive lineman that was doing the uh, Kamara, the D line coach impression because oh, the D line coach is British. Was. Yeah. Um. And look, I'm like I, I I'm reaching for something that was like mildly well, entertaining. Colby, when they spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes of a 50 minute episode on just the fact that one of their coaches is, is British, right? Like that's just like they're just okay. Like we're storyboarding. Oh, we've got a defensive line coach. He's British. Let's let's do about 20 minutes on that. It was yeah. It was literally one of the worst episodes of Hard Knocks I've ever seen. There was, I I almost think like. Jerry Jones was like, no, you can't use that. You can't use that. You can't use that. And they were just left with what they were left with. Um, I also, I saw an interesting, a funny tweet this morning. I think it was from Tim Kalashaw uh, out of Dallas who said, uh, last night's Hard Knock episodes uh, was the perfect portrayal of what summer football is. Boring. Well, look, maybe... Maybe Jerry, after last week's episode where they showed him eating that McGriddle and pouring a pound of salt. Like, like he's a, like, just shout out to Jerry Jones. He can do whatever he wants. He's like, he's closer, he's closer to the end than he is the beginning. But if he wants to salt his McGriddle, he can. But like the yeah. McGriddle's already loaded with salt. So maybe he saw that and he's like, you know what? Everything runs through me now because I, 
you show me eating that McGriddle. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's funny because last week we talked about it, obviously in air, but we talked about this being one of the best episodes ever on Hard Knock. Like last week one was 10 out of 10 for me as far as yeah. Hard Knocks episodes go. Absolutely. So good. And then week two, like, and maybe it's just the lack, maybe it's like that they really pulled back on Dak. They pulled back on Zeke and Zeke, like the Zeke and Dak relationship was so good in week one. Dak kind of opening up about his surgeries and like seeing that frustration with him not being able to practice. Like it just, we didn't get any of that. We got a lot of like this. I mean, it's cool. Like good for him. We got a lot of the Kamara guy, like trying to make the team. But I think we've learned over the past couple of years, like as a viewing audience, like I'm way more interested in the big names and watching them and getting to know them than like these dudes that probably aren't going to make the team. And I know that's what Hard Knocks originally was like, like built around was like these young up and coming guys and like their fight to make an NFL roster. But it's just way more interesting to watch guys like Dak and Zeke and and CeeDee Lamb. I thought CeeDee Lamb was good yesterday on the episode, but the CeeDee Lamb portion was deserved without a doubt, because I think like this is a guy that I don't know how many people nationally think CeeDee Lamb is like ready to burst into superstardom. Certainly like Cowboys fans think that's a possibility. Sooners fans thinks that thinks think that's a possibility. Um, he deserves that spotlight that he got, but like, I don't know. It, it, it kind of fell flat in terms of like, I felt like portraying it like CD lambs, a very dynamic personality for sure. And we talk, I didn't even feel like him, yeah. we got like a real good look at his dynamic personality. I mean, a lot of it was more people talking about how good he is than actually like CD lamb. And you're right about like, we had limited Zeke limited Dak. Um, like there was that small bit about Demarcus Lawrence that was just like, okay, like, by the way, maybe, maybe bones needs to have a talk with Demarcus about a vasectomy. Cause my guy has like 18 18 kids. kids, Yeah. Um, like I, like here's the thing. Dallas drafted like eight rookies on defense. Like the those guys need to be factors. Like let's let's see what some of those guys are up right. to, right? Like they've shown Micah Parsons, but we've literally not seen anything from Osa, Odigizua, Chauncey Golston, Nashawn Wright, Jabril Cox, um, Israel. Uh, what is it? Muakamumu, Muakamu, uh, who actually played pretty well against Arizona. Um, like there's a there's a bunch of dudes that. Uh, on this Dallas defense that are young, unknown players. I mean, if you want to take that a step further, let's go to like Dorrance Armstrong or Bradley and Nye or some other guys that have been drafted in the last couple of years that are going to be asked to play bigger roles. Like, I just feel like there's a lot, a lot with this team, a lot of storylines with this team that are just like completely right now under the rug. And like, I, I would imagine uh, too, like there's a lot of veterans that don't want to be involved with this. They For don't sure. want to be like, like, I last night, like the only even like sighting I've had of Amari Cooper was last night on a sideline during the game yeah. against Arizona. So like, and he seems like a guy that doesn't want anything to do with that. I'm sure there are guys. So yeah. like you're kind of just like picking and choosing guys that are comfortable with like really giving you screen time and, and you know, all that stuff. But yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was pretty meh. But uh, I mean, yeah, Micah Parsons though. I mean, the two preseason games, preseason, obviously, I, mean, I have to say that every time I feel like, but yeah, he's stood out like really good in both preseason games. Like the dude is an animal unreal. Like, I mean, who was a rat who was still available around that pick that 
because I mean, Sertan and Horn were gone already. Right. Um, it was then, uh, Rashawn Slater was available, and like I think in terms of need, Rashawn Slater was the only other guy I thought that made sense for the Cowboys in that spot. Uh, yeah, and look, I mean, it's you. You have to credit that front office for building such an incredible yeah. roster just based on the idea of in the first, at least in the first round, you're taking the best player on your board. Yeah. And it's worked out way more than it hasn't for them in the past 20 years. Like they've been really good at drafting in the, at least in the first round, they put on a lot of guys. So, well, and, and there's been a, a lot of reports that it was either going to be Sertan or Horn. If one of those two guys had been available. And I totally get that because that was, well, both of those guys, I think, are really good football players, and I don't think necessarily like the 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 grading margin from Micah Parsons to those guys is massive, but it's a significantly larger need for, for sure. the Dallas Cowboys. So I think that's the direction they would have went. But like again, you and I, I mean, we we previewed the draft for like a month before we did our big draft special at Chalk, and I told you going into the draft, like I thought Micah Parsons was the number one best defensive player in the draft. But, I mean, in terms of Micah Parsons and the Dallas Cowboys, I never even thought that was a possibility because if you look at their team, and especially defense, they need defensive ends. They need defensive tackles. They need corners. They need safeties. Could the linebackers be better? Absolutely. But in terms of, like, they drafted Leighton Van Der Esch in the first a couple years ago. They took uh, Jalen Smith with, a, with an early second-round pick a few years ago. And those guys have shown flashes of terrific play. Now they were they were disappointing last year, but like that would have been the one position defensively where you said, you know what, like I can give those guys a little bit more time without feeling the urgency to immediately replace them. So I never thought Micah Parsons was even in play for them at number eleven, or was it ten? I can't even remember now. But the point is, I think it was ten. Micah Parsons, no, I thought, was the best me. defensive player in that draft, and he has absolutely looked the part uh, to this point in very limited action. And I'll, let, let's also call out Zayvon Collins because, like, the, the beginning of that game, to watch Micah Parsons on one side and Zayvon Collins on the other, like, both of those dudes are animals. And I can't wait till we get to the point in this season where we get to see four full quarters of Micah Parsons for the Cowboys and Zayvon Collins for the Cardinals. Yeah, Dallas, they took him at 12. They moved back, and Philly moved up to 10. Yeah. Philly took Devontae Smith at 10, and Dallas originally had 10, but uh, ended up taking Micah at 12. But, yeah, I mean, I it's it's I think the NFL is in an interesting top point right now because I think the running backs and, like, offenses being more – putting more emphasis on the running game, I think, it's, I think it's cycling back around because you watch, like, what Derrick Henry does and, like, how important Aaron Jones and – and guys like that are to this the entire Baltimore offense. How yeah. important running is becoming once again. I think the linebacker position is going to cycle back around as well to being like a key position for every defense. Whereas you know, I would say probably the last ten years, you kind of just saw a lot of teams just throwing dudes out there at the linebacker position. Yeah, and really putting more of an emphasis on the edge rushers and the in the the secondary. I mean. I know Bobby Wagner's really good, but like you look at that Legion of Boom team, like the linebacker's probably the worst unit on that defense. Yeah. Yeah. And I was cycling back around. I mean, you're seeing dudes like Fred Warner getting big paydays, uh, Darius Leonard. Like there's a lot of really good linebackers in the league right now. And I mean, Dallas has, like you said, I mean, they weren't good last year. I think that 
the Jalen Smith stuff was probably a scheme thing. He, they, it seemed Agreed. like he really was playing out of position there. Agreed. And then Van Der Esch is a health thing. But, I mean, Agreed. if you've got those three, those two guys and Micah Parsons, I mean, you might have the best linebacker unit in the league in two years. Well, we, we saw it with Tampa Bay, right? In the Super Bowl, like, 100%. The, the pass rushing was exceptional with Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul and, you know, obviously the way they dominated the line of scrimmage. But, like, the two guys that stood out the most in that Super Bowl game were Devin White and Levante David. I mean, yeah, they, they're you, the three best players on the best defense last year were probably, what, JPP and then Devin White and uh, Levante David. Yeah, like I thought Levante David, I thought, was the best player in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean. And I think Devin White's the best linebacker in the NFL. And to your point about, like, I think what you're asking linebackers to do in today's NFL, we already had the conversation just a little bit ago about how offenses now are taking advantage of the skill sets of these quarterbacks and not just asking them to be limited as far as, like, drop back in the pocket and throw the ball, which means your linebackers – you know, it, secondary people cover, defensive line has to has to get after it, but linebackers are asked to do a lot. And I think to have a guy like a Devin Bush or a Roquan Smith or the Darius Leonard, these guys that are so athletic and can do, can help you in the run game, can help you in the pass game, just can be a defensive weapon. Like those guys are becoming more and more valuable. How many quarter, How many starting quarterbacks in the league right now are not threats with their legs? Like I, Tom Brady, obviously. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, yeah. Um, Stafford. Stafford, yeah. I mean, like a small number. Yeah. Matt I mean, Ryan. even guys like Aaron the guys Rogers that kind of come from the old guard of what the NFL right. offenses were. But even Aaron Rodgers and Ryan Tannehill, yeah. like they can make plays with Absolutely. their feet, even if it's not like, even if it's not them running thirty yards downfield, which Tannehill can do, but like. Just like the ability to extend plays with your feet at the quarterback position now, it's, yeah. like you said, like it makes the linebacker position so much more important. And then on top of that, like I said, like teams kind of being putting more of an emphasis on like running the ball with their running backs. That yeah, it's and maybe Dallas is ahead of the curve. You know, maybe they're seeing that and they realize that they need to have as much depth at that linebacker and athleticism at that linebacker position that that's more important than having yeah. a great you know. You know, two cornerbacks. But, because I mean, the bottom line is, if if Denver doesn't take Sertan, then Sertan's a Dallas Cowboy. Sure. So, right. that also plays a role. I, I, it, I you know, I, I think they made a great decision for the position they were in, but I, I don't think it was one of those, like, we're taking Micah Parsons regardless of what's there. If Sertan had been there, I think Sertan's the pick 100%. I, th- I think, it's I think too, as viewers, it's a little bit harder for us to really, like, fairly, like, compare, like, the impact a cornerback has to like the impact a linebacker has because yeah. if a cornerback's really good, then you just never see them. You don't talk about them in a game, you know, because they're just not right. The ball's never in their area as well as a linebacker. A really good linebacker is around the ball all the time. Every play. It's, I mean, right. that's why Micah Parsons is so easy to like already in the limited amount of time he's been on the field because he's literally there every in the time, shot yeah. every time he's on the football field. And, you know, this goes back to the Deion Sanders stuff. Like, there, there are people that want to gauge like the success of a corner by interceptions, and that's absurd. Like the success of a corner is shutting down one side of the field. Right. Like that's the success of a corner. It's when like a quarterback doesn't even want to throw in that guy's area. So you're right. Like it's it's not a noticeable thing as much as like seeing Micah Parsons literally wherever the ball is on every snap. Yeah, it's the dude's a freak, man. He's. Yeah. 
I mean, he's played probably. Would you say he's played a full quarter in the preseason? Yeah. Yet? I mean, at this point, yeah. Okay, so we're talking about a quarter ish. Yeah. Think and about what like he's going to do in a four quarter plays. game right. when he gets to. I mean, he's just getting warmed up by the time he's getting pulled out at this point. So he's already made like impact play after impact play. Yeah. In one quarter of football. Yeah. It's. By the way, I wore number 11 in high school. Like there, I, 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 I have not the last NFL jersey I bought with my money was a number 21 Deion Sanders Dallas Cowboy jersey back in like the mid 90s. But I'm I, I'm going to be tempted because Micah Parsons wears in. number eleven. That's my number. I I'm sold on this guy. Uh, I'm tempted. So basically, what we're saying is through two preseason games, we're already anointing Micah Parsons yep. as your favorite Cowboy. Maybe, okay. yeah, maybe. I mean, they got a lot of. I mean, I hate the Cowboys, but it, I find it hard not to root for those individual dudes on that team. Like they have a lot of guys I really a like. A lot of likable guys for sure. Yeah, and if uh, hell, I Zeke, it's it's hard. Like just from two not the one thing that Hard Knocks has done for me, yeah. through two episodes is, I, I find it really hard to dislike Zeke. And I thought a couple of years ago, I thought it was really easy to dislike him, but I'm finding myself being a fan of. Yeah, him. I, I it's it's you know part of the problem I think with professional sports is the way that national media portrays guys at times. Like they hear one story. And then they shove that one story down your throat, and that's the national perception of a guy. When, when sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes it is for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that it's not. Um, when when Ohio State played Oregon in the national championship, the first ever college football playoff national title game in Dallas, I got to cover that game. I was there for the entire week. Got to do all the media availabilities, and I got to like have several like one on one conversations with Zeke at the time again this was pre-Dallas Cowboys and and it was back in Ohio State but like the guy is really intelligent and like very thoughtful in the way that he approaches things and like I was so impressed with the dude back then that like I've always just kind of taken a lot of the the crazy stuff that's happened with a grain of salt just because I had those interactions and like I I like you know, got to talk to the guy and get a sense of like, man, this guy's like got it put together. Yeah. Uh, now, look, obviously I mean, people change and having spotlight changes and, and look, I like the guy's a character as well. For and sure. I think like that's kind of the portrayal is they, you know, he's own people, the national media only shows the character part of his personality. Right. And, and look, I mean, there were things that happened over his like first few years in the league that maybe like like the Cabo thing probably wasn't like the the best like look. Bad I optics guess, from, for like, sure. A, a bad optics for sure. But like from a personality standpoint, like I, I, I mean, I think he's like super likable. He's like he's very quirky yeah. and weird, which I, I can relate to. And like I I'm drawn to dudes that are like that, like <laughs> like the, the chafing thing. Like I thought that <laughs> right. was hilarious. Like the right. fact that like. Like the wrapping the present in the first episode, yeah. like he's just a goofy dude, and I can I enjoy that. So, I God I I want the Cowboys to win five games, but like I want I don't know yeah. I'm also rooting for so many dudes on that team. Like they really have a lot of likable guys. Yeah, the, it's too bad the coach sucks. Oh yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, Dak. I think Dak. Like if you just don't have something against whoever the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys is. I think Dak is extremely likable. Like 
guy That's does guy that had bad optics going into the draft. Like, remember the he the fight they yeah. got to in the bar, and, and which was so stupid because like dudes getting bar fights all the time in college. But and when like, they're a DUI a, that like that off season I, maybe. Uh, I I I don't remember the DUI, but probably. I mean, it's a dude's in college. Yeah, it was the same thing with Baker Mayfield. Like, you know, right. like there's one bad incident, and like it is a bad look for sure. Like, you know, but shouldn't define like, them exactly. Yeah. And but the, like you said, the national media just gets so caught up on these stories because they're more interesting, especially in the summer when you got nothing to talk about other than baseball. Right. Which national media doesn't want to talk about baseball. It. You know, by the way. Uh, I was about to say. Since we're talking about baseball. They did something right, Aaron. For the first time in Major League Baseball history, baseball did something right. Did you... So, okay, they played a full series there, right, over the weekend? No, it was just one game. Just the one game. Okay, okay. I I watched the first game, and then I just completely checked out of baseball after that for the weekend. Um, Yeah. Full pun intended. A home run by Major League Baseball to do that, and... Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the stadium games in the NHL, like the winter classics, it's a huge hit and like great move by the NHL to make that a tradition and good, good move, good move by major league baseball to realize that this was a home run again, pun intended, and to make it a tradition, like a yearly tradition. Cause it was, it was awesome. It helped that the game was really good too, with it walk off. You can write a better script than that. Judge and Stanton both hitting two-run home runs in the top of the ninth to to take the lead after they were down by, what, three runs going into the ninth? And then Tim Anderson walk off into the corn. Like, yeah, it's literally a movie ending. I'm, I'm literally getting chills right now yeah. just thinking about, like, the intro to the game. Like, Kevin Costner Dude. walking out and then being on the mound and then, like, the shot from behind of Aaron Judge walking through the cornfield, like, it's... The, I mean, that might be the best thing that Major League Baseball has done in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, easily. Like, um, I, I think that the tough part about recreating that game is, for me at least, the 30 minutes before the game ever started was exceptional, and it's a big reason why the game was yeah, such a, a really hit. Great. And look, I know a lot of people felt like it was corny, and, you know, I've heard people... Pun like, intended. Yeah, pun intended. Um a friend of mine actually like posted, this is so corny. Uh, and I said, pun intended. Uh, but you know, he was like Kevin Costner walking out of the corn and then like stopping his walk and like staring at everything and then walking again. They were like, this is so overplayed. And I'm like, look, whether it's overplayed or not, like Kevin Costner was in this movie and he just like, like the, it, it, to have him come out of the corn, a was awesome and then the players to follow and then the players to greet Kevin Costner as they walked onto the field for the introductions that was awesome man now here's the thing is that going to be awesome the next time they do it is Kevin Costner going to be there the next time they do it probably not so it's not going to be as cool but like the other thing that I thought was was amazing like between batters and between innings the aerial shots of this lit up baseball diamond in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by like this cornfield and the, the purple and blue sunset. And like, how cool was that? Like, how can you not just appreciate how beautiful that setting was with those drone shots when they were going into commercial breaks and coming out of commercial breaks sandwiched with an awesome baseball game. Like that was, that was incredible. I like, I loved the, the drone shots where you could like, see past right field and like it, the corn, it just kept going. Yeah. Like it, 
Like it really gave you a sense of scale that like they're actually in a giant yes. cornfield. Like this isn't some manufactured thing that they built on just some like flat commercial land and just put a couple of like rows of corn stalks yeah. up. Like they're this is legit. It was awesome. And then yeah, like I said, the game was awesome. Like I, I am a huge Tim Anderson fan and like for him to hit that walk off home run and like you, like in that game, like it needed to be somebody that was animated. He's the bat flip like, guy, right? Like people identify yeah. him as the bat flip guy, and that's one of the biggest issues in baseball right now. Is just you know people there. There's the pe- the people that want it to be more fun, and the people that think it needs to be you know professional and the the old rules of baseball. And like Tim Anderson personifies the new era of baseball and having fun and showing emotion in big moments. And I wish he would have thrown the bat into the cornfield after that home run, but you're right. I mean, I think like it, it's perfection to have that kind of guy have the big moment. Right. By the way, when I think of baseball people, Kevin Costner is like probably like the sixth or seventh guy I think of because yeah. he's been in every baseball movie. Right. So like, I'm like, this dude loves baseball. Yeah. I don't even know if he does. He may hate baseball. He does. He loves it. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Dude, was, he was at was a, he was in life. Stillwater, Oklahoma once at, I was at a, a, a college baseball regional because Cal State Fullerton was was in that regional, and he's a Cal State Fullerton he, fan. Yeah. And be huge, uh, yeah. Him and Augie Garrido were great. Are great. Were great friends, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, Kevin Costner, like, I mean, he's to me, he's a base. He's as much of a baseball guy as yeah. Insert any player yeah. or manager or anything. So, uh, you want a you want a hot take? Yeah. Field of Dreams is not Kevin Costner's best baseball movie, nor is it his second best baseball movie. Oh, well, e- okay. Bull Durham's easily the, his best baseball Agreed. movie. Agreed. And I don't know how people feel about it, but I, I really enjoy, uh, was it For the Love of the Game? For the Love of the Game. That I love that movie. Yeah, great like, movie. I, I know love it's more it. of a ro- romantic movie, but like I I really enjoy that movie as well. Like, I love I that movie. Really- yeah, it's great. Yeah. Kevin Costner's like, he plays a great, like, like like pissy veteran baseball player yeah. that falls in love. Yeah. Like, just repeat, rinse and recycle. It's I'll awesome. watch it every time. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's on te- television, I'll watch it every single time. And to have Vin Scully involved in it and, you know, throughout the like perfect game that's being played while you're kind of having the like flashback storyline along right. with the perfect game and Vin Scully's the one calling that, it is literally perfection. Yeah. I mean, if, if, I, I know baseball is a big theme of Field of Dreams, but it, is it really a baseball? It's not really even a baseball movie. I don't think it's it a baseball movie, but like it, you know, the whole thing's not about baseball. So, right. It's about him, about his dad. And like, but like, yeah, you know. for the same way that For Love of the Game is a baseball movie, but there's, you know, there's, a, wrong, yeah, it's, movie, yeah. It, there's a romantic storyline that's a pretty significant part of it as well. Yeah. It was great, though, man. This, so cool. It, it, I, I had low expectations for it going in and cause it's major league baseball. And like, I, I, I will never <laughs> at this, I'm at the point where I'm never going to have any good expectations for yeah. major league baseball doing something right. Yeah. But they just, I mean, fantastic. I mean, it was, everybody on Twitter was talking about it. it I mean, they couldn't have gotten any better for the game of baseball or for the league. I literally watched every pitch, watched all nine innings. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And again, yeah. For me, it was it was all the stuff that happened before the first pitch that sucked me in and just you know got me like feeling sentimental about baseball in general. Uh, it was you know the game itself, and it was an awesome game uh, with you know two teams that are full of of MLB superstars. 
uh, the, like I, like I said a minute ago, like for me, a big part of why I enjoyed it so much was just the like drone shots of like, you know, the, the field, uh, where the movie was, was filmed and, you know, the, the images of like those two fields being, you know, just so close and having that little stretch of corn between them and the people walking the pathway between, and like, like you said, the, the miles of corn beyond, the outfield walls and like it just the, all those images of like that setting to me was as much fun to see as the baseball game. And then to get that ninth inning was just like, holy cow, this is, this yeah. is incredible. And like you said, they're probably not going to repeat it. Cause next year, well, first off, you've got the Cubs who might have 30 wins at this point next year. <laughs> and Cubs in the Reds. Just, like, yeah. And you, yeah. you really just can't recreate like the drama and like the yeah. emotional intensity of, the 30 minutes before the game. Like you're never going to recreate that. Cause I, I didn't know what to expect. Right. And I teared up, I teared up a yeah. little bit from it. Cause it was, it yeah. was, it was awesome. Like it was just like one of those things where like, this is so cool that like I'm getting emotional. Like it's, you know, I think I have a son and like, I would love at some point to like take him there and go play catch on that field. Yeah. Right. Like it's I mean, just, it's uh, and they talked a lot about the the theme of the movie, like beyond baseball. It's a it's a father son movie as well, and so I think like anybody that that likes baseball that has had a dad that's been involved, or even if you didn't, then maybe you you that's what you wanted out of your childhood was a dad that would you know be playing catch with you. Like I I, I think there's just there's a tie there that I think is uh is just incredible. And per yeah, absolutely. And perhaps the most impressive thing that game did was it made Iowa seem like a uh, like a travel destination. <laughs> destination, yeah. Which I mean, it's Iowa. Yeah. I mean, you got Slipknot and Fill the Dreams. I guess that's what we're working with. There you go. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's end on this, um, dude. I went. Uh, I went back to school shopping on Sunday. I That's, imagine that was I was at the store on Sunday and it was just in a in madhouse. It's it's for it's just insanity, a because it's just like you have these two rows that are just full of like school stuff with a million people that are all trying to like get the same stuff, and it's it's just madness. It's complete madness. I was extremely overwhelmed. I'm like, this is uh, I I don't know what I'm in for, um, but we we made it through. Yesterday was uh, meet the teacher day, so uh, we got all that taken care of, and then tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow is the first day of pre-K. It is the drop him off. He's in the care of somebody else, and uh, I'm uh, I'm a little bit conflicted, man. I'm excited for him, but I got to tell you, I'm uh, I'm I'm a little bit like I get I get a little choked up thinking about it. How do you think he's gonna handle it? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Like, he was really excited yesterday, but after it's we had been there for like... when you're, you're dropping him off. Yeah, yeah, after about 15 minutes, I think he was just kind of overwhelmed by... Because, you know, the school was packed full of... All the kids. Yeah. All the kids and parents and all that. I think he got a little overwhelmed after about 15 minutes of being in there and the drop-off factor. So, we'll see, dude. I'm uh, I'm going to have to find... I'm, I'm probably going to have to go, like, drop him off and head straight to a, an adult beverage location to just calm my nerves. So, uh, how's, I, how's I, Rosie doing getting ready for school? Uh, she's, she's doing okay. She's, uh, like planning a wedding has made like the school year starting just seem like a piece of cake in comparison. So like, it's been I pretty, can see that. yeah, yeah, she had, they had, uh, meet the teacher night on Monday and 
I think I, she said it went pretty well. Good. And, and the school, the kids came back today for their first day. So okay. I, I haven't heard from her, so I guess it's going pretty well. But yeah, I think that uh, like I, I changed schools a lot when I was a kid, and I was definitely one of those kids when that was like leading up to first day. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty excited, no big deal. And then yeah, like drop first day, get dropped off. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. I changed my mind. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to do this. So. Yeah, I can I could totally see uh, little man being like that. And then like the other thing is that's the the tough part is his so right after COVID, like his daycare shut down and I had been laid off for like two months at that point. So like financially, you know, we were having to be very aware of like our money situation and like with his and then with COVID and like, you know, having like it, it wasn't really possible to vet a new like daycare play. So it just made more sense for him to be home with me because I was home anyway. And then, you know, I started the podcast. And so for the last year and a half, like I, I worked from home doing the podcast. So he's he's been with me like literally every day, almost all day for the last year and a half. So like all of a sudden we're having this big change where uh, it's like... Yeah, that's a tough transition. Yeah, tough transition. So I he'll be good, I think, when he gets into the flow of it. But Right. I mean, day uh, one's really the yeah. only hard day. Right. At least when right. I was a kid, like day day once you got past day one, it was yeah. it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I mean, I remember second grade changing schools and like in the middle of the year and like the first day, like I probably cried from like eight AM until two PM. Yeah. And then it was fine after that. Like yeah. made friends, like it became just routine and yeah. So I'm uh Hopefully it goes well smooth for you tomorrow yeah. in the morning. And then after that, like you said, it's just once you get through the morning on the first day, I think as a parent, I mean, obviously I'm not a parent, but I think as a parent and as the child, once you get through the morning on day one, yeah, it, 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 it just gets easier after that. Right. I, I would right. imagine. Yeah. He's uh he's the, the thing he's most excited about is he's excited to use scissors. He's excited okay. to use glue, which I'm okay, like, well. great. The two things you're most excited about at pre-K are using scissors and glue. You think is he? What are the? You think he's gonna eat the glue? Like, is that a? We've had those conversations. I'm like, bro, you cannot eat the glue, and he just laughs hysterically, like he thinks that's funny. And I'm like, I'm not joking. This is not you like. <laughs> this is not one of those me. things where I tell you not to eat your green beans just to get you to eat them. I'm like, right. this is one of those things where like you legitimately cannot eat the glue. Like, and, and if anybody dares you to do it, don't do it. Um, yeah. I'm like, don't, uh, don't give your shoes away or like, you know, like just, I, I don't know. Ooh, I'm trying to like, stuff, yeah. I, I've never done this. So I'm like, part of me is I, I want him to be prepared, but I also don't know like what I need to tell him to be prepared for. Right. So maybe some of it's like outlandish and it's like that, that would never even happen. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, they're kids. Every, nothing is out of the, out of the realm true. of possibility. <laughs> that's for true. Them to do. That's true. And then the other thing he's excited, you'll love this. The other thing he's really excited about to learn at school because, so he has these sticker books that are like NFL sticker book and NBA sticker book. And so you buy the, they all have every team and then like the player stickers that you put on the teams. So he knows all the teams and he thinks that like, he's going to learn more like football teams and basketball teams at school because at home, like, you know, just for fun, like I quiz him. I'm like, what team is this? And he's like, green Bay Packers. And I'm like, what team is this? And he's like the Rams. 
So he thinks like that's also going to be part of. So he thinks like he's going to go to school and get to glue and cut things with scissors and learn about NFL teams. I mean, it should be a it should, it should be a be. subject in school. I mean, yeah, but it would have been the one class I would have made an A in. Amen. So, amen. Yeah, I'm 100. percent It would help my GPA if I could have taken a class like that. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, tomorrow is uh, tomorrow's the big day. Well, good luck to you. It's uh, <laughs> hopefully I don't have to do it for a while. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Although I'm getting old, so yeah, probably get the ball rolling on that. Well, hey, man, I'm just gonna tell you, you got the big wedding this fall, and uh, I assume that uh, the parents are gonna start having some opinions about that part of your life very, start. very shortly. Start. Oh, is it already? Is it, has it begun, bro? I, I, a year into dating Rosie, <laughs> I was already getting. So when's the wedding? Yeah, and then the baby stuff started probably yeah. like year three. Okay, okay. So yeah, we've been getting it for a while. I'm. That's true. You guys have been together for a long period of time. Yeah, like so. six years. Yeah. but yeah, I can't. I can't handle my dogs. I don't. I couldn't handle a kid right now. You'd 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 be fine. Like it's it's just one of those things that uh, you're like I can't handle this, but then you just have to do it, and it like forces you. Yeah, yeah. you you make. Although it. my my dogs are disasters. A kid might be easier, yeah. honestly. It pro- I mean, dude, I've heard the stories about your dogs. I I I think that a baby is less stressful and less care. I look at least a baby eventually. <laughs> like after a couple of years, you can start to like reason with them and like. Yeah, verbally communicate yeah. with them. I'm just screaming at my dogs, and they're just like, Argh. yeah, yeah. So maybe a kid would be easier. Probably so. Probably so. All right, my friend. Uh, enjoy football. Hopefully, next week we have uh, a better Hard Knocks episode to break down. Here's the other thing. Um, next week we are like on the verge of it being officially like the football season beyond you know, preseason and, uh, and all that. We're like a, a, you know, pre football week week. I'm ready. I mean, there's only three preseason games, in the NFL. And then yeah. what week, week zero is week zero is usually like the last weekend of yeah. August yeah. for college football. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm just getting, I keep, it's just, um, I keep getting teased. It's just, August is just a month of being teased by football. Yeah. So amen. All right. He is Aaron Davis. I am Colby Daniels and, uh, we will see you next week. Okay, it's over.